Hello again, and welcome to the Red Dwarf IntroCast, where longtime fans and newbies alike journey together into the deepest, darkest regions of space on the mining ship Red Dwarf. Or sometimes just jump through interdimensional portals and say that we're already there. Um, <laughs> this week, we're going to be talking about Series 9, Episode 2, Back to Earth, Part 2, The Return of the Back to Earth. Thing. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but first, uh, my name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. And we have two special guests this week. Rosie? Ladies first. <laughs> Ladies first. Just jump straight in there. Uh, yeah, Rosie. And Ian. Hello. 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 Yes. Hello. Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Good to have you both back. Um, as we get to the middle part of our trilogy here, uh, Back to Earth Part 2. Um Let's see. Uh, I guess you should probably introduce yourself, even though people know who you are, because you've all been lurking about here before, and plus you've been involved with Red Dwarf longer than we have, but still, for reasons of form. Rosie, who are you? Why are you here? <laughs> well, I thank you, Heath, for asking. Um, I am here because I love Red Dwarf, and <laughs> I am also the host of Aboard the Night Bus, um, and... Starting a new podcast at the moment called Know This Growing Up Geeks. So nice. that is that's me. I think everything else has been said. <laughs> it's all been said. <laughs> so been okay. uh, sorry. Uh, and Ian. Hello, I'm Ian from off of uh, Ganymede and Titan, the premier Red Dwarf fan site. Uh, been a fan since I was seven years old. Never grew out of it. Uh, currently run a big old Red Dwarf fan site with podcasts and interviews and reviews and articles and whatnot. And it's very good. And that's why I'm here. Lovely. So, Rosie and Red Dwarf. Great. Um, no, wait. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shane, tell us what Back to Earth Part 2, The Return of the Back to Earthing is about. Uh, the new science officer, Katerina Barsuski, uh takes command to make sure Lister is the last man alive. To, to make sure Lister, as the last man alive, revives the human race. She accesses another dimension. The others fall through it and find them in a department store in London with the Red Wolf playing on every television set. They seem t- they, it seems they are fictional characters on a television show. With only one episode left to run. <laughs> yes. I.e. Last Action Hero. Last Action Hero. <laughs> Has everyone seen Last Action Hero? Uh, no, but it, it was an example that I've seen uh, posted a lot of similar concepts to uh, Back to Earth. There's a, a rich history of um, metafictional humour. Uh, mm-hmm. And Doug is at pains to point out in the uh, documentary that it's not ripping off anything specific. It's just the next in a in a long line of things that take this kind of genre, really. Oh yeah, no, I definitely didn't think it was derivative. Just that's no. that's like my closest encounter with this particular plot was yeah. Last Action Hero. So. Uh, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of um, British people would say uh, the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse, which was a mm-hmm. A movie based on a TV show uh, which came out in about 2006, 2007 I think uh, where it's the same thing the, the characters of this TV show realise that they're fictional and then uh, go into the real world and track down the writers and kill them all in a variety of ways. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I love Didn't that. Did they do that in Moonlighting too? Yeah, Moonlighting is always breaking the yeah. fourth wall. Yeah. Well, it was a neat concept, um, I thought. So very, yes, we talked about how different last episode uh, was from what had come before. Um, this episode is tons different from the previous episode. <laughs> or anything they've ever done, ever. <laughs> but I'm kind of digging it, to be honest. Yeah, oh, that's I- good. Are, are you going to get annoyed if I go back and talk about the first episode again? No, no, no. <laughs> because I have listened to the intro cast last week several times today. And I think Swat. my feeling... <laughs> <laughs> no, this, I haven't watched the episode. No. <laughs> I, I, my feeling on the whole thing is that it, it's, it's not balanced well between the characters and mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. So they it was 9 years and I know you brought up that several times that you know I'll just say it's 9 years and and that explains <laughs> it. <laughs> but um the 9 years should have been taken more into account because the actors had all grown up and matured but they'd kept the writing not the same but they hadn't they hadn't fit the two together. So mm. The, the actors suffered because of the writing and the writing suffered because of the actors. I think for all of them, uh, Doug and the cast, it was a case of it's been so long since they'd inhabited these characters, mm-hmm. either as the writer or the actor, that they had to sort of revert to a sort of archetypal version of the character rather than a, a, you know, a nuanced version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was all, you know, sort of back to default settings and see what happens. Yeah. And it, I mean, and, and, and it certainly worked out in an awful lot of ways. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's streets ahead of series eight, but yeah. I think that's probably everybody's view. Except for a few, not James's. <laughs> yeah. no. But they did it very, they, they did very cool. well to pull it back from from that and not have it completely tipped into the trash. But <laughs> but it did come back, and I think it was the best they could have done with what they had. Yeah. Well, it's certainly... Um, yeah, we ha- well, we've got some mysteries answered anyway, or partially answered this episode, so let's just hop into it, I suppose. Okay. Um, <laughs> we begin with Kremlin Kate, as she's now affectionately known. <laughs> even though somebody called her that in the comments for last week, even though it had not been in the <sighs> show yet. Spoilers. Shame. <laughs> It's fine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she sends them through the wormhole. Uh, they pop up and, oh, yeah, they say that their dimension isn't valid. And so they go to another dimension, popping through TVs. Uh, they pass uh, Sean there. He had some red on him in the TV store. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, interesting... Um, Interesting, I don't know, I can't quite figure out, so it's not our universe that they're in. They're in, I guess I'm going to have to turn this in terms of the Marvel multiverse. Um, We have, I guess, ours, which would be Prime. the DC multiverse. Well, well, either one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got our Prime, we got 616, we got got 1610. But yeah, in our universe, so Red Dwarf had had eight series and then was going to make a ninth. 
in the universe that they're in, it appears that there are two seasons that we didn't get to see. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I got that right. Yeah, pretty okay. much. I don't have people coming from the future for no reason, so that's good. And and then they're, they start doing everything backwards. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, And it now explains why, um, Heath, I, I did say this to you a while ago, that I'd labeled the night bus episodes. There's one to, nine, one to eight, and then it skips straight to ten. And oh, I, I said see. to you at the time that that was a spoiler. A very... <laughs> <laughs> a very niche spoiler. <laughs> Conceptual spoiler. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> okay, can we talk about, like, the, um, uh, oh, w- what's that type of Skrillex type music? The dubstep, dubstep music yes. that's mm. going on in that it's scene. nice. <clears throat> he was like, wait for the drop. <laughs> 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 that was all uh, library music. Uh, there wasn't oh. anything original composed for um, for these specials. Uh, it was a combination of existing old Red Dwarf scores and then whatever they could find in the library. Mm-hmm. It wasn't bad. It was just I really, I oh, really wow. like that. It's um, Red Dwarf dubstep. You often see that or hear that um, track used on trailers and uh, you know for trailers for TV shows over here. Uh, it's always, oh, yeah, it's the Red Dwarf music. <laughs> oh. uh, At least oh. it wasn't, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like in every trailer now. Um, speaking of last week, we apparently made an error uh, that a listener was kind enough to point out to us. Oh, here we go. Um, Carl there? We- yeah, Carl Wheatley says that... Um, we had listed uh, Mel Bibby as a uh, model designer when, in fact, he was the mm. set designer from series three to eight. Yep. So mm. want to be want to be sure to clarify that. So our bad. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> I don't even remember ever talking about that. Yeah, he was the the gentleman he did on the memorial. Uh, that oh, was the okay, okay. Yes, gotcha. yes. And we knew it that it was somebody involved with the crew, but of course we couldn't research you. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, interesting music, and then they're bebopping around there, and uh, yeah, it's sort of neat. I like seeing them in an alternate dimension where, and I really can't wait to see them meet their actors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Fun split screen. <laughs> that, that's a head. Yes. I really like the physical comedy in the uh, department store scene where they all come crashing through in different ways and the best one is when Crichton's yeah. sliding along the floor, the camera's oh. following him and then goes too far and has to come back on itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, yeah, I agree. He, the cat jumping out of yeah. the TV was amazing. <laughs> Doing his signature d- dance step there, yeah. I was just enjoying watching the television switch from the Red Dwarf uh, thing to the department store. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because they're still following the characters around. Was it and like that's a, kind of creepy. I guess, was was it a mall? with like Or just like a huge store with both electronics and furniture? 
it uh, was a department store. Uh, I think it was John Lewis. Was, yeah, uh, uh, John Lewis in Kingston. Kingston. Kingston upon Thames. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, it will have an electronic section and a furnishing section. And wait, wait, and, what's the name of this department store? John Lewis. Okay. At Kingston upon Thames. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was still the name, and like. How long is this department store's name? <laughs> the, the right honorable department store of... <laughs> uh, I have a fun fact about uh, that location filming. Uh, mm. During the time that they were in John Lewis, uh, apparently the uh, script editor Andrew Ellard and Danny John Jules uh, were reading Ganymede and Titan whilst on set filming Red Dwarf. Aww. Aww. Nice. Well, Drop that in there. <laughs> Get me in touch. It does get mentioned on the Doug Nader audio commentary for episode one. Oh, uh, yeah. See, I kept waiting to hear mentions of, like, actual fan groups that I know. Yeah. Like, I know they mentioned the um, fan club. Yeah. And that's... I'm like, am I going to hear some familiar names? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Reg Wharf is fictional. Oh. <laughs> cool. Although we have tried to persuade the fan club chairman to, that it's his duty to do that. <laughs> He's not having Retcon it. it. Yeah. And his car looks nothing like that either. This scene, oh, I love that car. Oh, God. But um, this scene, it reminded me a little bit of that scene in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm-hmm. Just seeing, yeah, this crazy flamboyant characters in an uh, in juxtaposed setting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I love, though, that they tried to justify the fact that Series 1 of Red Dwarf had VHS tapes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, obviously, yeah. we couldn't keep with DVDs. We can't get them back in the box. <laughs> A nice bit of retconning there. Oh, hi, Elfie. Elfie agrees. <laughs> She's going to be a guest, too. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> She's gone through from an alternative dimension into ours. <laughs> the house is slightly chilly, so she's very huggy today. Yeah. Yes. It's a podcat. Yes. Hey. It is a podcat. Elfie the podcat. Don't chew my cords. She's already ruined one a, a mouse, which, you know, is hilarious. <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> she chewed the cord off my mouse. <laughs> uh, and so in... Uh, classic fashion I, that almost reminded me a little bit of like the Mel Brooks movies but yeah they all pull out the script to, to see yeah. where they're going next <laughs> read, the the Muppet the, movie. Yeah, read the back of the DVD kit they are the Muppet movies yeah and in uh, case you're wondering that is indeed the um, DVD cover design that they went for I and the, and the text on the back of the DVD case is I think there might be one or two words different but it's pretty much verbatim yeah awesome Okay, I, I've just got to say, the writing for this is so good. It is. <laughs> like, all this scene, all of the meta-awareness about the characters and all of the character reactions are just perfect. Mm-hmm. And I again, have to ask, though, Angela. Yes. Did you forgive Crichton for his whiteness for that one... <laughs> it was it was like half a second. It's it was almost like, okay, I have to do this 
now fulfilled that obligation. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Ticking things off from the past. Yeah. Yeah, it was part of the meta thing. So, yeah, that was fine. <laughs> yeah, the... Um... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, love. No, 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 go ahead. Oh. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say now. Well, it's the from... cat putting everyone off. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what the heck is the cat doing with those things? Yes, he's leaving markers. I know it's got to be a mystery that they're going... At at first I thought he was just making origami for no particular reason, but then the second time it was like, okay, this is clearly something that he's doing. So here was my first theory, that he was leaving trail markers for Kremlin Kate, but why would Cat be in league with Kremlin Kate? That doesn't make sense. I don't know that he wants Rimmer dead, uh, which seems to be her main goal. Nothing to do with Lister, no matter what she says. So that struck me as odd. And then I think, well, could Kremlin Kate be Kachansky in disguise? But then that didn't make sense because then we would have had Kachansky run over by a car this episode. And that wouldn't be cool. <laughs> so I don't know. I think an important question at this point is, uh, have you seen Blade Runner? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which they mention. A lot of things in this episode are references to Blade Runner. I haven't watched in a long time. Yeah. yeah. It, it quite annoyed me on first broadcast, this aspect of it. I've sort of come to terms with it now for reasons that I can't go into, because uh, spoilers. But at the time, at the end of this episode, I was thinking, well, surely... This should be a celebration of Red Dwarf, not a celebration of Blade Runner. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, later on in this episode, you've got the scene in the comic shop where they're uh, mm-hmm. manipulating the photo. That's obviously a direct Blade Runner reference. Yes, uh, and I loved it too, yeah. just the parodiness <laughs> of it. That Yeah, yeah that, that was really good. Uh, but also, um, Nose World is uh, based on a Blade Runner scene as well, and a lot of the dialogue oh, uh, okay. mirrors Blade Runner there. Yeah. They, uh, I think they, they, they've done well to, to keep it open to fans that haven't seen it, though, in yeah, a way. If, if you still like it without being familiar with Blade Runner, fair enough. Yes. I would say, See, I the would... photo enhanced thing, I wasn't thinking Blade Runner. I was thinking of every single like procedural show that yeah. does the you know, enhance. Yeah, it's very like, oh, CSI. Look, we can just magically make the picture unpixelated now because technology does that. Um. <laughs> well, I had the reverse actually because I hadn't seen Blade Runner when I watched these episodes originally, mm. so I didn't get any of the references. But now, you know, now I've seen it, I do. So, well, you know, I wasn't. Th- I, ha- I haven't seen Blade Runner in quite some time. So, beyond the general theme of the created facing its creator and asking for more life, that part I got. But yeah, yeah, yeah the more subtle references. I need to go back and watch the movie again. I guess. Um, yeah, it, it does work without it. It's it's you know extra value on top, I suppose. Yeah, and it definitely should do. If it it you know if it didn't appeal to people that hadn't seen it, which I haven't, as I've not seen a lot of things, mm. um, <laughs> then then I think it's yeah it's a triumph. Well, I like only... Back to Earth. <laughs> I like Back to Earth. Good. I think the only the only strange thing about Blade Runner is that. In terms of the things that influenced Red Dwarf, it's uh, it's one of the things, but it's one of many things. I wouldn't say it's the main. Like Dark Star is always cited as the biggest influence in that it 
it was one of the first sort of space comedies to show just normal people in space, not much happening, and, and see mm-hmm. where the comedy comes from there. And also Alien. Uh, the first Alien film is the concept of working-class people being in space. Which, uh, which they had a poster. Aliens poster. Yeah, Aliens poster and one for Memento. Yeah. Um, let's see. So they're going to uh, try and find the creators. They find oh, money. Oh, they had a bunk room scene. Yes. Bunk room scene. Ah, you spoke that. <laughs> I love yeah. that. That was done so much better than in Series 8. Because yeah. they, they need to throw that in. Because it's, oh, what do people like from the first few series? Oh, but yeah. They, bunk they didn't rooms. make a big deal out of it. Yeah. They didn't say, oh, hey, we're in a Exactly. (laughs) No, that was great. Wink. They were just like standing where they would usually have and having the same conversations they would usually have. And did you notice uh, the photos in the frame in the back in the frames in the background were all photos that are in the bunk room? Did not. The photo of photo of Lister's dad's dog, and uh, (laughs) I think there may have been a. Uh, one of Rimmer's certificates in there somewhere as well. Uh, and the main, my favourite thing is on the uh, TV screen in the top left of the shot, there is a wreath of holly. Oh. As in the plant. <laughs> so holly's in there somewhere. Oh, Nice. <laughs> the, that scene was originally going to... Because the original plan for Back to Earth was for it to be two parts. And that scene mm-hmm. would have opened part two. Uh, so that's why it's a sort of yeah. strange shift of pace because it's designed to open up uh, a brand new episode. And, uh, yeah, we noticed that the scene right before it—that was where, like, uh, where they were still in the uh, electronics yeah, department. Yeah, we saying like, like uh, "What if I'm out that day? What if?" And then like it fades away and then comes back in on the bunk room scene. Mm. And we were like, is it a commercial? Did they have commercials? It was, it was, it was a commercial <laughs> break on original broadcast. Yeah, that okay. bit. Uh, but yeah, the original plan was that would, would be the end of episode one. And so the gag was, what if I get cut off? Gotcha. But it, I, I, don't oh, think it's that, I don't think it's that it, well executed because it took it me a few watches work. to figure it out. Yeah, we thought our internet hiccuped, so <laughs> we ran it back. Yeah, we we all thought it was a mistake when we were watching it being broadcast as well. We thought they'd pressed the wrong button or something. Ah, just just one of the few missteps in this yeah. episode. Yeah, wait for it. It's going to be legend next series. <laughs> yeah. But uh, then, then they, they find money find by digging in the couch. Yeah. yeah. Nice. See, I thought they were going to sit down and sign autographs. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so you can get a lot of money from that but if you come to the official Red Dwarf fan club conventions I mentioned Jim Portographs and Photos are free Aww. really? that sounds great when is it? <laughs> <laughs> when is it? just visit uh, dimensionjump.info for all the latest news that sounds like a <laughs> great thing to do peachy uh, nice I love sorry, I I love the fact that Rimmer picks up a couple of condoms there. <laughs> you never know. Exactly. Now, oh. um, of course, we still have the 
interesting situation of Rimmer because he said in the last episode that the ship's console could only keep one hologram going <laughs> at a time. So sort of canceling out the whole self-sustaining uh, light B thing that we got from Legion. Uh, and now he's in a universe completely without Red Dwarf, yet both he and other hologram manage to exist simultaneously. Well, that's because of... Her- you know, the flux capacitor reverse the polarity on the neutron flow. And- <laughs> Angela's quote from the episode last week was the best one. I can't actually remember it, but I think you said... It's not what they need to do, it's what they want to do yeah. that matters. <laughs> just thought, yeah, that just sums up Red Dwarf. <laughs> yeah. Continuity is uh, is just optional in Red yes. Dwarf. And sometimes continuity ruins the plot. So, take that. <laughs> and so, um, speaking of continuity, so we get a little bit of background here uh, from conversation snippets and when Lister is well uh, he's that's a little I'm skipping ahead to Lister on the bus but we'll we'll kind of circle back around but um sort of yeah but uh so apparently Kachansky got blown out of an airlock in a season that didn't air in our universe but apparently aired in universe 617 which I'm going to say is where they are so um and then we get the adorable little Moppets theorizing about that. Um, so adorable, weren't they? Yeah. But, yeah, and in fact, they have a really cool theory there. I like that. That's what Angela and I do a lot, is just try mm-hmm. and make up stuff. Um, so they explained where, what happened to Kachansky. Uh, I guess they explained sort of why the tone of the first episode was so dark if everybody had been that depressed and Lister was stumbling around drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, don't really know why, though, except that they still have not explained why there is a hollow rumor. Why is rumor dead? Um, and, you know... Well, he punched some explosive boxes again. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they haven't some, explained Something that. happened in those nine years. There was a thing at some point within those nine years, and that is the reason. Well, <laughs> I don't know, last week, James was... Uh, theorizing that uh, this could be not the hollow version of the physical rumor from the reboot of 8 that we were familiar with, but in fact the rumor prime returned for some odd reason and acting completely out of character. I don't know about that. I still think this has to be a dead series 8 rumor. There's a third option, of course, in that it is a combination of the two with shared memories of both. With absolutely no explanation. (laughs) Uh, Again, uh, using roses. Well, no, there was an explanation. It was just printed on the bottom of Crichton's shoe. And if you freeze frame in one (laughs) scene. (laughs) Yeah. Rotate 270 degrees. Now reverse it. Now go back to the left. (laughs) I love that. And the. The. Pix, oh goodness, the the level of uh, uh, magnification that they were getting to. Yeah, I'm trying to think what size image they would have had to have started with to be able to do that, <laughs> like a three thousand megapixel image. <laughs> but but then the timing of it, like the timing of not only the joke, but then the punchline. Mm-hmm. It was much better than 
like we were we were complaining about the timing of season eight jokes mm-hmm. and how they would just keep going on it a bit too long. And they had one joke in here that almost was like this, but otherwise the timing was great. Mm-hmm. That joke being, and we can segue back, the dude in the comic shop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which was a really neat scene. Yeah. Having a crazy red dwarf fan have absolutely no issue, you know, oh yeah, yeah, you got a dimension slip there. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Skid. Skid there. With a bit of a mind flip. Um, <laughs> Let's do the time warp again. <sighs> but yeah, I, I don't know. That. He he almost went into the stereotype well, he did go into the stereotypical nerd thing mm. or humor but he didn't it didn't go too far into it yeah it was like, it was affectionate i think yeah it didn't turn so bizarre that you couldn't relate to it anymore well according to the audio commentary the cast audio commentary i should say he was asked in rehearsal to tone it down and save it for the performance mm. oh I was just that they had a rehearsal because <laughs> that wasn't always a given in this. They had something like two and a half, three weeks to film the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and then what's really neat is um, you can't, but you can't see it. But one of the copies of Red Dwarf that he had in the shop, if you put it in, there's an Easter egg where you have David Tennant saying, "Don't blink, don't <laughs> even blink. They are fast, faster than you could know." I tell if you mention Doctor Who, I'm going to spoil it. He didn't it. hear. He didn't hear that. He wasn't on the on the pre-recording yet. Okay. <laughs> then I, but it was a very similar similar to uh, the the video store guy in the Don't Blink episode. Do you know what the what? video the video store guy in Blink uh, in Doctor Who? Uh, is played by Ray Peacock, who was the warm-up man for Red Dwarf 10's audience recordings. Nice. Uh, there's a link for you. Segway in. It's linked. <laughs> but yeah, his... Segway um, in like Zuckerberg. Like <laughs> <laughs> Job. His uh, brilliant... Um, uh, telling Telling all of the ways that they can travel... Yes. Like every single reference. And I caught about half of them. And then the beaming? No, that's Star Trek. We don't do that. We don't. That's not us. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, the Holly Hop Drive. Son Red Fourth. Oh, let's see. So, yeah, from there, they have to take the bus. They meet the adorable little Moppets. Now, uh, were these yeah. were these just child actors, or were there somebody's kids that they wanted to pop into the episode? <laughs> uh, the boy is a child actor who's been in several other things, a few adverts in, in the sitcom and whatnot. I think the girl is a niece of Doug Naylor, maybe. Uh, really? so, well, certainly some relation. But yes, yeah, I think she is an actress as well. But, um, yeah, oh she, yeah, they were both very good. Yeah. 
But they did not have the guy with the loud boombox that then Spock had to uh, <laughs> <laughs> neck pinch. <laughs> Uh, Halfway through, I was like, this is the Star Trek Four of Red Dwarf. What we did have was, at the bus stop, uh, there was a woman knitting uh, while she was sat waiting for the bus, and that was Helen Norman, uh, who was uh, one of the producers. And also, uh, a guy that gets on the bus is Charles Armitage, who is one of Red Dwarf's executive producers. Nice. And, uh, going back a bit, similar thing uh, when that's a brief scene where they're on the escalators uh, going down and everyone's staring at them amongst the people staring at them are Howard Burden the costume designer and Joe Howard who is the line producer for this series yeah sadly no longer with us just to bring it down at the end there Uh, (laughs) can I bring it down more by asking this question specifically to you Ian (laughs) I suppose Um, well I I very much feel with this that they spent too much on the special effects and didn't leave enough for... I mean, I know they had to sort of scramble around and find people and call in favours mm. um, and but the special effects must have cost a lot. They weren't that great and it doesn't reflect Red Dwarf that well in that case. They actually didn't spend that much on the special effects. I think hardly anything because the uh, visual effects supervisor for this Mike Seymour who'd never worked on Red Dwarf before but was a huge fan Okay, uh, <laughs> and he, he contacted Doug saying if you need any special effects in this series uh, he runs a, uh, a sort of online course school thing for uh, visual effects designers digital visual effects and he basically got his students to do everything uh, it was sort of a massive operation done across four countries with about 50 people in total all working for nothing on, oh, uh, God. Okay. <laughs> on making crowdsourcing and, crowdsourcing yeah. the production and they ended up doing hundreds of individual digital shots of some form or another whether that was you know obviously things like the dimension cutter opening up and there's some matte painting stuff that you'll see in the next episode that are you know obvious special effects stuff but also things like in the department store all those tv screens that were um that were showing red dwarf had just had green on the screen and that was all comped later uh and on the when in particularly in part one where they're based on the ship there was only like, one corridor in the bunk room, and the rest was all green screen. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything was a virtual set that was created by Mike Seymour's team. Wow. That was impressive. Mm. Mm-hmm. I didn't even particularly notice the special effects, which I think is actually that's a, a good, good thing. thing. Yeah, that's what right. they're aiming yeah. for. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was digging the conversation and the plot. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And if you don't notice the special effects, that means that that it's done that it's done its job. It feels natural and it feels like yeah. part of the scene. Saying that though, going right the way back to the beginning of the episode, if we're talking about special effects, mm-hmm. uh, I don't mind the close-ups of when they're trying to go th- when they're going through the vortex wormhole mm-hmm. type thing. When it when it cuts to a, when it cuts to the high wide shot. Yeah. To me, that looks awful. There is literally nothing in that shot that's real. Mm. And, uh, apart from maybe that tiny bit of um, Katarina in the corner tapping away at the keyboard. 
because uh, the set she's computering so hard. <laughs> she's generating the set around her. But yeah, the the set isn't isn't real. Obviously, the big dimensiony wormhole thing isn't real. Spoilers. Um, what? <laughs> they didn't actually cut through to a dimension. Yeah, it's weird. It was all it's all done with computers. Show ruined. If uh, they're not willing to tear apart entire dimensions for artistic integrity, then right. I just What's don't care. Point? I mean, how hard is it to get a, a, a random space china and just <laughs> pop it on screen? I mean, come on. Did you say space vagina? What the hell? <laughs> Sorry, that that uh, space vagina. That's a coin termed by. Oh, where did that come from, love? Uh, that actually came from um, nostalgia critics' review right. of the Langoliers. Uh, the Langoliers, and it was actually Sky Gina, not that's, Space Gina. That's right. <laughs> yes. Oh, I haven't seen that nostalgia critic. I like nostalgia. It's quite good. I love. So do I. The one. He, sorry, sorry to go into the tent. <laughs> what he did for um, Batman, and, Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. I remember it, so you don't have to. Yes. Um, before I was distracted by Jainers of whatever ilk, <laughs> uh, I was going to say that the the mo- <laughs> in that wide shot, um, the crew aren't real either. They're little ragdoll models, uh, computer models that were built uh, using yeah. about nine reference photos. And so that's why it's probably a little bit ropey. Didn't notice. Yeah. I was just waiting for I that scene again. I generally don't notice like production quality things unless it's distractingly atrocious. Mm. Or particularly good. Yeah. And that that's my point in a way, that it it seems to be a combination of looking too good for it. Well, not too good for it, but different from Red Dwarf. Sort of tacky and and forced C- CG, and mm. then and then absolute rubbish. When they could have just found a medium, I guess. As okay. opposed to tacky and forced stop motion and uh, monster models. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, when you're crowdsourcing your special effects, then you might not be able mixed to quality. find a medium. <laughs> Just I think, mixed quality, that is a very good statement. <laughs> <laughs> I think the big difference in terms of the way it feels is obviously it is, uh, it's got the same um, progressive scan look that Series 7 had in that it looks more like film than video. Uh, mm-hmm. But obviously, uh, with it being made in 2009, it's genuine proper HD in fact it was shot at 4K mm-hmm. which is uh, four times, or almost four times better resolution than HD um, and I think it was possibly the first TV series if not in the world then definitely in the UK to use a specific type of camera which is the red, the red one yeah, red mm-hmm. one. yeah we talked uh, about that last time I think. Oh, oh fine I, I haven't listened to the last one. Oh, that's right I'm sorry you said that yeah <laughs> Yeah, those cameras are awesome. Yeah. Um, what was it? Uh, oh, sorry, I'm blinking out for a second here. It, it's it's uh, finals time in school, so there's a lot of grading going on right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so the the special effects, though, yeah, by and large, 
I'm I'm kind of with Angela on that, and you know, some sometimes I guess special effects are important. Like if if you're gonna make a Transformers movie, you have to have good special effects. But then again, you know, if you have crap writing, that doesn't work anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for Red Dwarf, I just sort of gave up on it looking like super sharp and super professional. I, I I never felt that was what the show was aiming for. Yeah. Like it was more about the comedy and the writing. And if they could get a cool looking model shot in every now and again, good. But most of the part, it's just, yeah, this is what we're going for. It's supposed to be a monster. Just squint your eyes a little bit and go with it. And look, here's naked Rimmer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially if you think of uh, TV sci-fi, you know, Star Trek with its long line of, uh, here's an alien, put a bumpy prosthetic on its nose, and <laughs> that's an alien. There's the same matte painting that we've had for ten different planets. Let's just change the color filter and use it again. Boy, this planet looks a lot like the Vasquez Rocks. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, as long as you're telling a good story doesn't matter exactly yeah and i think that's possibly where they've slipped up in oh. in future series <laughs> I don't uh, know. let's see <laughs> so what happens next we get uh, okay so uh they go to the chinese dude yes they go to the nose guy um it is is his broken english is is that what? from blade runner am i not remembering am i remembering blade runner correctly like I kind of felt comfortable with his very broken English for no particular reason. You mean yeah. uncomfortable or comfortable? Uncomfortable. Oh, okay. It was, uh, yeah, I think it's based on the the characterization that was in uh, Blade Runner. Uh, okay, that makes sense now. I can't remember. Uh, Chu. Chu was the name of the character in Blade Runner, and hence this is Swallow. I, I, I see. Oh, gotcha. I clearly need to go back and watch that movie again. It's been many mm. years. Uh, his, yeah. He um, made eyes for the replicants. Yes. Uh, so Swallow makes noses, Chew makes gotcha. eyes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just weirded out. I, I couldn't tell if, you know, it, there was an actual guy who worked on nose prosthetics and <laughs> yeah. like that was his actual doing a, voice doing or a send up of him or but was, yeah just a random Asian person has broken English ha ah, yeah. yeah. ha but now it makes sense that that makes me feel better that it was a reference and not just a random comedy <laughs> choice yeah. yeah and it's very much the the only scene I think relies on you having watched certain things and having certain background yeah. to, to get and so yeah. as a result the, it's it's doesn't come across well. Yeah, it's definitely the most jarring in all mm. in all three parts yeah. that mm-hmm. scene. But at least it's not Mickey Rooney from Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Less said about that the better. Yeah, I do like uh, Swallow's costume. He's wearing uh, one of the cat's big mm-hmm. uh, fur coats, mm-hmm. but underneath it's a Simulink costume from yeah. uh, Series Four. And we we first saw a snippet of that when on uh, RedDwarf.co.uk there was an article. Uh, they obviously had weekly updates while they were filming it. There was an article of the about the editing process. And you could see a really tiny resolution 
uh, still from that scene on, on a monitor in the background of one of the pictures. And obviously we uh, looked at it and we went, oh my God, there's simulants in it. They're going to be fighting simulants on Earth. <laughs> we thought it was going to be like um, the series two finale of Doctor Who where you've got Cybermen and Dark. Yeah. Nice. We thought the yes. simulants were going to follow them through, but uh, it didn't happen in this episode. <laughs> Good fake out. Like that. <laughs> That's what we get for overanalyzing. Yeah. For example, but no, no, never. I'm not going to give uh, Doctor Who spoilers. So. No. No. But the car. The, the car. <laughs> the car bug. <laughs> that was that was lovely. I liked the car bug. And it was so. an odd, like, almost music video for the car, but I didn't mind because it was just fun. <laughs> so I know somebody has done this and taken it to a convention. You've seen one, yes? Uh, not at a convention, uh, but what really? they did on the Thursday, yeah, it was the thir- this originally uh, aired over Easter weekend, so it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And on the Thursday beforehand, there was a press event in Barclay Square in London. And uh, Carbug was there. Uh, it was, uh, but it, uh, Doug Naylor had the idea of uh, they're on Earth. They need transport. They obviously they need a car. Let's make it look mm-hmm. like Starbug. Yeah, he had that idea, and then found out that the budget wouldn't allow for it. So he bought the car himself, and <laughs> and um, and bought green uh, sort of vinyl stickers to make it green, and then. The props department went out and bought, went to a garden centre and bought two big plant pots, uh, which they sprayed, <laughs> sprayed silver and stuck on the back for the uh, boosters. But so, see, that looks like something that the president of a fan club would put together himself. Yes. Yeah, there you go. It, it was made in an amateur way, both fictionally and in real life. <laughs> Meta. <laughs> like there's a there's a story going around now where um. One of the uh, the Ecto ones from Ghostbusters has been allowed to sit on a back lot and rot to nothing, and they're about to send it to the junkyard. And a lot of fans are trying to buy it and restore it instead. But yeah, that makes yeah. People would be willing to restore it for you for free. So do I've it. got a very very interesting story about Carburg, but I'm going to save it to the next episode. Oh Fair God. enough. Rosie, <laughs> <laughs> be nice. <laughs> Strange stories are interesting sometimes. <laughs> no, <Don't> you. Steve. <laughs> oh, I couldn't resist. Okay. I'm going to have to. Anything to do it. with that car is probably very interesting. Yes. Oh, it probably is. Everyone is going to be in timeout. Hmm? What, including me? No. <laughs> Yes, for telling interesting <laughs> stories. No. Just, just me. <laughs> Shame on you, Rosie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. So they get the car, and yeah, that's um, about it, isn't it? Yeah. They get to um, uh, Cor- Coronation Road? Street. 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 Coronation <laughs> Coronation Road. That's the oh, most amazing on. thing. <laughs> <laughs> For, for anyone in, I don't live over there. There's an ocean between me and Coronation Street. Come on. <laughs> for anyone in Britain, Coronation Street is about the most 
famous TV location ever. Uh, See, so. I noticed it, and I thought, are they on a set, or is that the like real actual one? It's um, half and half. It is a backlot at Granada Studios in Manchester. Uh, it's been specially built. It's been there since the sixties, uh, and it is the all the exteriors of the buildings are real. Mm-hmm. And you go in, and it's just you know, it's a, it's a shell, and the the sets are a part of a studio in the same. Uh, same location. Exactly the same so, thing as they do with EastEnders. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for it, it's it's less impactful, the end of that episode for uh, anyone from outside the UK, because the culture shock of seeing the Red Dwarf characters on Coronation Street <laughs> is like... Um, is like they, sorry, s- sorry. like Spock turning up in ER or something. Hey, that was a classic episode. <laughs> I haven't seen the so that might be the case. But apologies <laughs> if I've spoiled anyone. And I, I believe, actually, it's going to be knocked down very soon. They are moving to, yeah, a new uh, location at Salford Media Centre. Mm. Uh, mm. Where they, they're rebuilding it exactly as it is, but slightly bigger. Which means that all the actors are going to look like they've shrunk. So I don't know <laughs> how <laughs> that works. But. Nice. No, yeah. they'll just turn into hobbits. <laughs> I saw a uh, story the other day showing all of the different movies that the famous um, square where the, the clock tower in Back to the Future was in. Yeah. Yeah. Universal lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, like To Kill a Mockingbird and everything. Um, let's see. Yeah, so that's the episode. And yeah, um, Definite step up, I think, from the beginning. There, I, I, the, the beginning just had me depressed. It was too sad, mm-hmm. and they were all hating on each other. But now, for some reason, the chemistry between the characters has improved markedly <laughs> since yeah. since they popped into was, universe. Was there like 6. a 7. filming gap? No, I mean, I know they had to get it done very quickly, but I think the the whole thing was shot all in one go like they didn't do yeah. part one first and then part two and it was all yeah. whatever locations were available whatever actors were available so it was all shot out of sequence like a feature would be the dates I, it, it just, sorry the dates I've got in front of me are February the 16th to the 27th and well March, they should still be in the season then they'll be delicious <laughs> and March 6th to the 8th yeah, there, there was yeah those few days for pickups with some of the cast, not all of them. I think those last ones. So everything but it just felt like there were there there were so much more comfortable with each other in the second episode than in the first episode. I think maybe that's down to the writing, perhaps, because uh, yeah. I, I don't think there was a great deal of time for drafting and redrafting on this. So it, I think them becoming more comfortable with each other is Doug becoming more comfortable with the characters again yeah. and, and rediscovering how to write the interactions between them. Yeah, and it also gives a lot of room for people to say, which rimmer is it? Because <laughs> <laughs> what it is is that the rimmer was just just not well written for and then mm. moved on and then they got the chemistry back and 
Doug perhaps doesn't care so much as long as it's good comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like we were saying earlier. Rimmer is whichever Rimmer he needs to be. Yeah. But, but, but the, the missing two seasons. Now we'll never know. <laughs> will we? You may or may not. <laughs> Who knows? Let's see. Um... <laughs> Where do we go from here? So let's take a moment and give a shout out to another podcast. And then we will be back and we will read some feedback and do some quotes and or ratings and then some quotes. And then we will make some predictions and then we will make some delicious s'mores and tell campfire stories. And it will be an awesome day. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Picking apart books that you care about doesn't mean you dislike them. It just means you feel passionately enough to actually give a crap. Not all the problems can be fixed by magic. What? Are you scared? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Aboard the Night Bus. Aboard the Night Bus. Welcome to Aboard the Night Bus. A fun and light-hearted look at the Harry Potter books, chapter by chapter. Lockhart is just too stupid for his own good. He should be sucked. This is gross negligence. I on Harry Potter. Uh, sorry, you, you don't get to complain, Rosie. I really wonder why Dobby was so worried about Harry Potter. See, the thing about comedy is it's all about time. <laughs> I make interesting points. I'm a Ravenclaw. We have one one demanding fan. Oh, you're so cute. Aboard the Night Bus, a fun and light-hearted look at the Harry Potter books, chapter by chapter. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a review, join our Facebook group, and now follow us on Twitter. And of course, send your owls to aboardthenightbus at gmail.com. And we're back, and it's time to see what you folks thought of uh, Back to Earth Part 2, the, the Back to Earth thing. Uh, let's see. On the Fache Book group, we have Phil Baker, who says, A lot to be impressed by in this mini season. It looks gorgeous and was one of, if not the first shows, to be filmed in 4K. I love the shot of the smart bug on Westminster Bridge. Russ Greener says, Ah, yes, that reminds me. Why is the Blu-ray 1080i and not 1080p? Okay. He's complaining about the (laughs) Blu-ray. I understand the TV broadcast would be interlaced, but no reason for the home version. Hashtag smegheads. (laughs) Nice. You and Acorn writes, The human picks up in part two. We get some nice stuff in the sci-fi shop and also the jokes about the time period. The highlight being quite an explanation behind the change back to video from DVDs. The plot continues to move along nicely, but obviously it's pretty hard to comment on things properly into part three. The Braid Runner stuff is pretty decent, although without spoiling anything, it is the best yet to come on that front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I read the first Phil Baker. Somebody else read the first Phil Baker. I read that. Uh... Bill says, I've seen Blade Runner when oh, I watched... Try again. I'd never seen Blade Runner. <laughs> I just pulled it up. I was looking for other things. I'd never seen Blade Runner when I watched this. The references were lost on me, but it didn't ruin my enjoyment. Yes, the sci-fi shop is marvelous. I do want to go to that sci-fi shop. It's closed down. 
Oh. Had to be the bearer of bad news, but yeah, recently closed down. Oh, did it? Oh. Yeah, it got taken over by a chain, I think, and it's completely different now. Hey, we've recently found two sci-fi shops, or comic shops, near your work. Uh, let's see. Um, Ewan comes back with, uh, no, I hadn't uh, seen Blade Runner on first broadcast either. The Nose World scene certainly left me a tag confused as to why it was like that. Uh, I have watched Blade Runner several times now, though, so that's been corrected. Yeah, us, us two there, you and we, well, yeah. I've seen it, but it's been a long time. I basically just remember Rutger Howard being creepy and awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then Harrison Ford's all, I want my family back, and punching things. The wrong one. Oh. Shooting first. Oh, okay. There was a run, one-armed replicant, and he had, no? Okay. He always shoots first. Cheddarhead says, after the promising start, I was really disappointed by part two because what? I don't like good things. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is where things start getting weird or awesome. And <laughs> I'm sorry read, I'm editorializing. <laughs> and when I first watched it, I just sat there stony faced throughout the episode feeling really uncomfortable. Sounds like me and backwards. It just wasn't the Red Dwarf that I had that I know and love. The sci-fi shop scene goes on way too long. And did I like the listening to music? Tri- but but I did like the listening to music joke. <laughs> uh, on that uh, sort of topic, um, speaking exclusively to Ganymede and Titan ahead of broadcast, Doug Naylor said um, that uh, on Saturday night, i.e. after part two, he was convinced that the majority of Red Dwarf fans would hate him for what he was doing, uh, but that by the end of part three, he was confident that he'd have won them back round again. So Cheddar Head might have been one of those people for whom that's the case. Maybe so, but you know what? If he's, um, and we had, I think, talked about that a few episodes back, but yeah, if he's... Uh, making decisions now based on what he wants the story to do and where he thinks it should go instead of, I think, maybe in Series 8 and maybe he was trying to bow too much to feedback and trying to please other people instead of his own ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, if he's willing to do something that might piss off half the fans, yeah. kudos. That's that's how you make yeah. awesome things, by taking Absolutely. risks like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Down Forrester, um, right? Tried watching it again so I could contribute. Sorry, I could not get through it. I not only dislike this episodes, I actually detest it. Them. 90 minutes of TV and only two scenes that don't leave me feeling like I'm watching a poorly done preschool play. Wow. How wow. do you really feel there, Darren? Yes, don't sit on the fence, <laughs> Darren. How, how many preschool plays does he watch and why? <laughs> What preschool is putting these on? Um, <laughs> Metafictional school plays would be good though. Uh, Sam Highland says uh, Middle Earth is. Oh, wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> he did dig himself into a hole there. Sam Highland says Middle Episode Syndrome again. Exposition heavy with input from random people not in the main cast. Oh, that's like the opposite of what I just suggested. Um, I struggle to think of stuff to say about this part of the story as it is overshadowed by the other two parts. Hmm, interesting. And Jonathan Cap says, Capsie. I really didn't like this episode on first watching, mainly because the Blade Runner stuff annoyed the crap out of me. 
this was meant to be a celebration of Red Dwarf, not Blade Runner. But I still have a bit of a sulk about how heavily it's referenced. Uh, but the price crasher scenes, especially other great scanner gag, and another great scanner gag, and the they walk among us stuff goes a long way to fixing this. Also, car bug. <laughs> He's stolen his opinions of me. I think that's right, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can't plagiarize opinions. <laughs> but if you for this. Um, little miniseries we recorded uh, podcasts immediately after the episodes finished airing and put them out the same night and he's pretty much said exactly what I said four years ago and he's, wow. he's copied my opinions I'm not making his tea tonight that's it it's so, <laughs> it's so weird that this was only four years ago I'm used to this being so dated it's yeah. weird seeing a more modern episode yeah. Well, I was thinking about it earlier, and for me, it's weird that it was as many as four and a half years ago, because it still feels, Mm -hmm. it's new Red Dwarf, as far as I'm concerned. Anything after Series 8 is always going to be new Red Dwarf, in the same way that, you know, 2005 is still new Doctor Who. Definitely. Don't mention Doctor Who. Don't mention Doctor Who. I think I'm going to wait with it. You'll get in trouble. Oh, uh, we have some Twitter feedback. (laughs) Twitter feedback. Twitter. 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 Claire Calvert says, I can imagine Heath and Angela watching this and just staring at each other in bewilderment. It's really hard to say much without giving the game away. Things do sort of take a sense, make sense eventually, but Back to Earth works very much better viewed as a whole. I do like Rimmer's neurotic reaction to the magazine's description of him as neurotic. <laughs> so. There are nice little touches through throughout, but there are nice little touches or nice little touches. I'm not quite sure which one she means, because <laughs> both could work uh, throughout, but this is very much the middle section of a trilogy. See, I love middle sections of trilogies. Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie ever made. On the other hand, Temple of Doom. <laughs> oh, yeah. But on uh, the other hand, going back to good ones, Back to the Future Part 2. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, and, and <laughs> forgive me if I'm being completely stupid now, I thought you were only allowed 140 characters on Twitter. <laughs> oh, that was uh, part one, two, three, and four. <laughs> okay, uh, I, liked, oh, I liked the beginning and the end tweets, but the middle ones let me down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Just staring at those tweets. <laughs> Um, Everyone's in trouble. Okay, good. I am really interested in how people thought we were just going to just not like this at all. I'm surprised. We liked it so much better than the first one. Yeah. And and I guess the first one, we were. it was a setup, so it was hard to gauge. But it was darker, and it was, you know, we were... You know how we hate unanswered questions and loose plot threads. So that was inevitable that we would get a little peeved at that. Um, but... Yeah, no, this one, I think they're definitely doing something different. It's definitely a bold move, but um, putting them in just a completely new setting, I think is probably a good move right now. It's it's kind of refreshing to see. I, I, now, of course, the wrong ending could make me yeah. change my mind very quickly, yeah. but... I think there's a lot of potential for interesting things to happen now, so I'm happy. Yeah. And it just it had to change. It 
there was no way they could keep it the same after nine years. They had to think of <clears throat> some good idea. Well, even now if, they're in another prison. And <laughs> <laughs> even if they wanted to do it uh, exactly the same, they couldn't have done uh, because the budget oh, was sets for on the BBC stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the budget was so small that they couldn't build sets. They couldn't have an audience uh, watching it. Um, they could. They didn't have uh, enough time to rehearse it properly and film it properly. So it had to be a specific thing. Doug was sort of forced into a corner. He had to write a certain type of story that could logistically be filmed in this short amount of time for no money. And so it mm. was on Earth, real locations. There you go. And beyond just... that, though, I, I think that. I can tell that this is Doug's story, that it's a metaphor for what he went through trying to get the show back. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they're on a journey to see whether or not they're dead because they were left hanging and weren't quite sure. Yep. I can totally see that he's he's putting some of the frustration he went through for a few years there into this, and it works. I mean, it, it's, it's a neat cultural metaphor, or I guess metaphor for the fandom and the show as a whole, and the fact that it's relying on fan support half for half of its budget and mm-hmm. getting paid, I think is kind of touching. It's definitely a celebration of Red Dwarf rather than necessarily a, you know, a clearly defined continuation of Red Dwarf. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a look back and it was great, wasn't it? Let's have a little story for the fans and then see what happens afterwards. Yeah. Because and that's why I'm so surprised about the sheer amount of negative reaction. Mm. Yeah, I think of course we all know now that um, there was a series 10 Um, but when this was made out (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) Uh, obviously when this went out we had no idea whether this would be the last ever Red Dwarf or not so I think um, at the time it was quite well received as a whole without going into it too much obviously but in the intervening years people have started to look back at and it's more of a curiosity now of you know it's between series 8 and series 10 it's a little three episode thing all on its own so people are starting to look at it differently and a bit more critically because it's so different Mm. cool but the writing is good. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, any, <laughs> any more feedback on this uh, or anything before we get to um, ratings? No. no. All right. Well, guests get to go first. Uh, Rosie, why don't you give us your thoughts? <laughs> okay. Well, I will do it in my most British way and say that I do love this episode it, it, for so many reasons but mostly because Red Dwarf had come back and it obviously wasn't perfect. But you can't please everybody, as we know. (laughs) But on this occasion, (laughs) I'm feeling pretty positive. And I would like to give this one seven and a half sofas, not couches. Take that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a couch. Are, Are sofas never couches over there? No. Go figure. Not on my watch. (laughs) Well, pants are still pants and not underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Trousers, really? Come on. (laughs) 
Hopefully we won't start singing. <laughs> Sorry. Why would I sing about trousers? <laughs> no, because I was going to go into my whole, you say tomato, I say Oh, I see. Oh, <laughs> Well, let's just call this singing off. Um, okay, Ian. good. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll start singing and nobody wants that. No. I'll, I'll get on with it just in case. Uh, yeah, I am a big fan of Back to Earth in general, and I think um, part two is where it really steps up a notch uh, compared to, uh, you know, there's bits of part one that I like, but not too much, but part two I can really get behind. Um, I didn't like it on first broadcast, um, but it has grown on me significantly over the years, and I think it does its job really well. Uh, considering that I gave uh, out of time 10 out of 10, and uh, Pete 0 out of 10, uh, <laughs> it has to be in that context. And so I would give this uh, 6 uh, brutally murdered holograms out of 10. Mm. Mm. May I go next? Mm-hmm. I suppose. I guess. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I was, as I said to you that, as I said on the podcast last week, I was staying at a friend's house for the weekend, week, and we all worked this together, and we all loved all, all three episodes. And if I would, if I would, if I appeared on the instant reaction dwarfcast, I probably would have been given this an eleven or twelve. <laughs> <laughs> but. Watching it back over the years, it's not as good as that. I think it was more of, a, of an excitement of having new Red Dwarf. So, I'm going to have to give this. It's better than it's better than uh, part one. Is it better than life, though? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have probably have to give this a. Eight and a half. Um, condoms. <laughs> Couch condoms. Yes. Uh, the last thing you want is a half condom that is neither use nor ornament. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really, really enjoyed this. I thought... The writing had stepped it up a notch. I loved all of the self-aware humor. It it could just be I really like things like that, the meta-awareness type of thing. Um, And I especially... Is that what they're hunting in her sleep? Yeah, she's she's dreaming right now. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't know if that was your stomach or the cat. No, no, I'm not that hungry. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it was, it was really quite good. And I I sort of like that Doug Naylor is an infuriating fans and not particularly caring about that because it means that he's putting together things that are worth watching, you know, that, that are, you know, artistic works on their own merit and not just trying to please the fans and not pleasing anyone except for James. (laughs) Who liked season eight? Uh, so I'm giving this nine out of ten. Um, mysterious cat, shiny origami. Oh, I was gonna go with that. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I stole your quote. Well, serves week. you right for <laughs> stealing my quote last week. Uh, I um, I dug this episode quite a lot. 
Um, yeah, for a lot of the same reasons Angela said. But yeah, one, I just think when you take the 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 dwarf crew and you put them in a weird situation and and let <clears> them just play around, you get a good result. Um, you know, some of the best classic episodes were that, and yeah, it just I think putting them on a universe like ours and having them face their creators, I hope, um, is a neat idea. So I am very hopeful for the third episode. We will see uh, just how how satisfied we end up being there. But, um, yeah, I'm going to give this an 8 uh, out of 10. Um, oh, goodness. I thought I would have one by the time I got done <laughs> meandering around there. Let's see. Oh, eight out of... Oh, you already said brutal murders, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Eight out of ten still unquestioned, uh, still unanswered questions about what Rimmer we're talking about here. <laughs> no, wait, here we go. Eight out of ten adorable little bus moppets. Bus moppets. Bus moppets. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have rated, and it is time for quotes, and uh, so, Rosie, you can oh, quote. Oh, no. Make Ian go first. Ian, you can quote. Smooth. Uh, okay. <laughs> Science fiction. It's all a bit bollocks, really, isn't it? That side scan thing knows everything, doesn't it? Any bit of exposition, just ask the side scan. How can it know everything? Talk about rubbish. <laughs> Who's he, Crichton? Well, according to the side scan score, he's a pompous, know-all, know-nothing idiot called Mike Millington, who, incidentally, has a very small penis. <laughs> How does it know that? It scans his emails. <laughs> um, Rosie, do you have one yet, or should we I, keep I stop? do have one, yeah. Yay! <laughs> but they're all very long. I think that might be slightly... Uh, I don't know. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> we are just classing it up this episode, ain't we? I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Okay. What are these things? I'm not going to do the accent because you know I'm terrible at that. They're digital versatile discs, sir. DVDs for short. They were very popular popular in the early part of the 21st century before they died out and were replaced with what we now what we now have. Oh, you mean videos? Back then, no one knew that the human race were utterly incapable of putting DVDs back in the cases. Case in point: over two trillion went missing in just over 20 years. Videos are just too big to lose. <laughs> um, I will go ahead and go because I wanted to do this one. Um, you gave me slip, I know. You do not want to be erased, but you won't defeat me. I'm too smart. Erase me? I thought it was murder to kill a hologram. No hologram already dead. Morally, ethically, hologram killing fine. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's see. I can't remember exactly how he says it, but I loved the Crichton quote um, where he's, uh, when uh, when Rimmer is like, how am I hilarious? Here, love, I'll, and I'll, I'll post it for you. One second. Thank you. Thank you. Look in Skype. Okay. I know this is riveting for everyone. <laughs> hilarious? In what way am I hilarious? Name one way in which I'm hilarious. Just one. Just one. One way. 
Well, you're pompous without reason, sir, and you have hilariously unreasonable life goals. When I'm Lord of the Starfleet, Crichton, you'll pay for that remark. <laughs> <laughs> Lord of the Starfleet. Lord Commander. Oh. Shame. That's my bit. Uh, well, Heath, you've actually taken my one quote, which was... Oh! Oh, oh no! Yes. However, I have been using the time that you've all been quoting to find a post from you, Heath, in our group dated the 18th of October of last year. Okay. The, the, um, I don't know, the Crichton dressed up as Keanu Reeves. I'm sorry, say again? Crichton. The Crichton dressed up as Keanu Reeves. Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, in that photo, you've got Volva's return in the background. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw Volva's return in the episode that we just watched. Nice. It meant absolutely nothing to me at the time. Yeah. yeah. It's a good job that you are American, because if you'd have seen, at that point, an image of a character from Red Dwarf in front of the Rover's Return, like I say, it's one of the most iconic things in British TV, particularly the Rover's Return pub, you'd, mm. you'd have been massively spoiled if you'd have thought it was anything other than a normal pub. Yeah. No, that meant nothing to me at the time. I mean, for all I knew, it was a, a, a picture of somewhere at a fan convention. I didn't even know mm-hmm. for sure that it was from the show. I just that was the first picture of uh, full face face picture of Crichton that came up. So, okay, Elfie, you're gonna have to move. I just thought I My legs were falling asleep. <laughs> it's taken me five minutes to scroll through all our posts to get back Ow. to that particular one. <laughs> So, are, any more quotes then? I've got one. If it's uh, I guess who I've got standing in my shop? <laughs> Go on, have a guess. Uh, no, no, no. What? No, no. Shall I tell you? No, no. no. I just realised that's basically Paul's voice. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, well, uh, done with quotes. So, we need to make some predictions. Um, hmm. Hey, what's the title of the next episode, Shane? <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, it's called Back to Earth Part 3. <gasps> huh. I've just been spoiled on everything. <laughs> oh, that would have been another good quote. Oh, not a trilogy. I hate trilogy. Yes! <laughs> Three-parter, yeah, three-parter, there we go. Three-parters. <laughs> um, so, predictions. I don't know, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think they can't resist having multiple characters, so they have to meet the actors that play themselves. I would love for them to meet Doug Naylor himself in the episode. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, I think it's fairly inevitable, given the Blade Runner theme, that they have to meet their actual creator. It would be really nice if Rob Grant were willing to pop in uh, for just a quick cameo on the episode. I don't see that happening, though. Um, but, I mean, he is their creator as much as Doug, and 
Uh, you know, I'd like to think he was maybe at least asked, but you know, who knows? Uh, doubtful. Um, but yeah, I think they have to meet them. The actors I th- would like for them to meet Doug. As far as what's going to happen, I mean, I don't think they would have known that there was a series ten. So, I I I don't know. Um, what's the resolution of meeting your creator? Oh, so I guess it is kind of Star Trek yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, what does God need with the starship? God need a starship. Well, my uh, prediction is that uh, Rimmer and Lister and crew must find a pair of humpback whales <laughs> in which they take to the future to keep a satellite from destroying Earth. And blow up a planet while they're at it. And that was my reference to Star Trek Movie 4. <laughs> and that was my reference to Star Trek Movie 3. Yeah, you can keep your Star Trek Movie 3. I like Movie 3. Um, now, I really don't quite know what to expect. I hope it's good. I really do. Because um, I, I dug this episode, and I hope that it justifies the <clears throat> interesting concept that they've set up. Mm-hmm. So. Alrighty, uh, I guess we're going to end it there then. Hey, uh, Rosie and Ian, thank you both for coming. Uh, thank you. Thank you for okay. having us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And for joining uh, us in our love of this episode. <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it is interesting that it didn't get as positive as, as a re- uh, response as I might have expected. But you know what? I think that's what we're most comfortable with, liking the episodes that other people don't, so... Yay. <laughs> yeah, better that than the other way around. Indeed. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, one more time then, uh, check out Rosie on Aboard the Night Bus uh, for you Harry Potter fans out there and for her new upcoming show, Growing Up Geek. Um, and you join Ian on whatever uh, startup uh, Red Dwarf fan group he's <laughs> part of. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's really so... alright well thank you all for listening Uh, we won't be back next week but we will be back eventually Uh, The uh, Thanksgiving is happening over here in the states so Angela and I are going to be very busy seeing family and eating uh, lots of pumpkin pie and turkey and things that we shouldn't be eating so yes uh, but we'll come back and finish this thing out soon Uh, very American uh, holiday (laughs) just get together and eat a whole bunch of stuff we're so grateful that we could overeat um (laughs) <laughs> and Canadian, don't forget they've got Canadian it Thanksgiving. Is. Canadian as well. Thanksgiving. It's a different day, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's in October, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. They already had theirs. Greedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Until then, uh, bye, everybody. Bye. bye.